Psst, before you stick this in your ears, know this. The content presented in this show is designed for a mature audience with a functioning sense of humor. If you are not an adult, are easily offended, or take life too seriously, this is not the show for you. For everyone else... Hello, let's go for a ride. on a Davenport. One day the first chimp said to the other, We should make Once again, to the ninth story, I am the stepfather host of the Caveman Mafia podcast, and I've been asked to come in and talk about movies with the fellows today, and I'm honored to be here. Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate you joining us. Uh, with us, as always, or frequently, is Craig. Yes, I'm here. I'm here. Happy, to, show be, too. happy to be back in the, uh, in the company of uh, the stepfather here. Uh, yeah. He's going to regale us with his knowledge of films or... Knowledge, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe I'm going too far. Yeah, you're, gonna, you're just gonna entertain knowledge. us, right? You're gonna you're gonna drop some entertainment. The every man's movie. There buff. it is. That's right. That's what we, that's what we love. See, that's that's what we need though, because there's too many reviews out there by the professional reviewers yeah. that have this weird, I don't know what sort of um, checklist that they're using. Yeah. But it doesn't seem to be related directly to what the normal viewer looks for in a movie. Movie? Movie? Did I say movie? That's a different genre of movie, isn't it? The, it's the movie. The movie. That's, it's all it's about movies that feature cows. <laughs> Join us for the movie. And uh, Throw Mama from the Train is in on that list because <laughs> there's the scene where they, don't they actually stop and Danny DeVito says, oh, cows. There's a, there's a, I'm pretty sure there's a scene. They put uh, a Brother Roy down there too. Right. And, well, that's they right. Right. And Twister, of course, with the cow right. flowing through. Yeah, right. There's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of movies. Hey, give me a ton of a baby movie. I forgot. That's awesome. But the cow. I think that's, that uh, Owen's mother is Cartman's grandmother. Because they have like the same voice, don't they? Yeah. You know what's funny? Did you ever look her up? I can't remember the Anne Ramsey. Yeah, Anne Ramsey. When she was younger, she was a hot looking lady. Yeah, she was she was she was was a good looking lady. Yeah. You would never know it from looking at like the Goonies. You you know who else you know who else (laughs) was actually you know who was very attractive when she was younger too was um Mrs. Ockmonic from Alf. Really? Who was actually Jerry's mom in Seinfeld as well. Okay. But when she was younger um, she was, she was, because that's Nicolette Sheridan's mother, the actress. I'm pretty sure that's, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. Um, because Nicolette Sheridan's pretty hot, he's ass. Um, <laughs> and, um, I'm pretty sure that, that, that that's her mom. Good anyway, work, even if it's not, Mrs. Ockmonic, Mrs. Seinfeld was, was pretty damn attractive when she was younger. It's surprising, you know? Yeah. 
Because, I mean, there's some actresses that you know just by looking at them that when they were younger, they were probably very attractive. But, like, you would never think that of... No, you would not think Anne Ramsey was no, attractive. Absolutely, no, absolutely not. But not she at all. was. Yeah. Okay, look, look it up. I'm going to take your word for it. Look it up on IMDb. There you go. Absolutely. One of the best resources out there. I'm sure Mike will agree. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah, it's good stuff. So, Craig, you wanted to start off with uh, some information on uh, Jack Black's rival. <laughs> I not necessarily say it was information. It was just, um, you know, I, I got into a discussion on the social media a couple of weeks ago, or actually last week, about the, the concept of, you know, not necessarily the tortured artist, but, but people who are creative sorts who feel compelled to put themselves in situations where, you know, they can't step away from the drink or the drug or the whatever and the whatnot. And it was prompted by the death of uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm. And, um, you know, it, it kind of related to a conversation that, that Dan and I have had. I don't know if we've ever had the conversations on the show, but, you know, our, our, the, the concept of Nine Story is really to talk about creative individuals who are into, you know, all primarily storytelling, writing and whatnot. Yep. But, you know, whether you're writing a book, whether you're writing a screenplay for a film, which appeals to, to Mike, hopefully, whether you're writing songs, you know, you're a musician, there's that there's that element of creativity that, you know, sometimes it's insatiable. And I don't insatiable. think I don't I don't think how matter I, I don't I don't think whether you become successful or you're not successful, um, you can never quench that need. You know, you can be the most successful actor in the world, the most successful musician, and you still find yourself looking for something else. You know, like I was, right. I, like I told Dan before, in, in one of the poems that, that's on our page, um, titled "You Are," is kind of about Craig that. Weber. Yeah, it's 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 about that struggle that. No matter what you do, no matter where you are, you're always going to wake up with yourself. No matter who you surround yourself with, um, and if you're if you're somebody who's creative and you always feel that need to have that void filled, um, sometimes there's nothing that can do it for you. It doesn't, and it doesn't matter how successful you are personally, professionally, whatever. Um, and I think that that's why you see people like Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, pass away, why Heath Ledger passes away, why Kurt Cobain could never get over himself, you know, and, and you see it. Um, but when I was making those comments, you know, somebody kind of came back and was like, you know, the concept of the tortured artist is such a, you know, it's such a stereotype. It's a cliche. It's, out. it's cliche. But, but I don't it's think, true. but I don't think it is. And, and that's the thing I just, you know, A, I wanted to talk about on this show to kind of clarify my position on that. But also, you know, you guys are creative sorts. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, Mike, I, I know... Cliches are cliches for a reason. Right. And, and I know, you know, there's got to be... I know a lot about Dan's creative side and why he wants to write and why he wants to express himself. And um, I don't want to presume to speak for you, Mike, but, you know, I know that if you love movies, there's probably a reason. You know, there's probably something you like. It's... I assume a lot of it's the entertainment factor, but you probably like to see, you know, good performances, good writing. So I have to imagine that there's some creative element to you as well. So, you know, I just kind of wanted to put it out there and see if you guys had any thoughts on it. And, and, and I'll, I guess I'll put it out there. It's like the thing that really got my attention, and this is why I mentioned Ledger as well, um, in the Rolling Stone article with uh, Will Philip Seymour Hoffman's on the cover of it, and they talk about him. And um, the actor Ethan Hawke said that he never saw Hoffman drink before he did Death of a Salesman. And that's the play that he was that he was performing, and he said that play tortured him. Wow! Okay. And and then you also heard about you know he Ledger, yeah, yeah, with the whole the Joker. he got so much into the Joker character yeah. that he couldn't live with himself, right? Or, or that thing, and it's like there's there's got to be something 
there has to be something to it. There is something about getting so deep into a tortured or disturbed character that you absorb what that is. And, and that's even writing those characters that you get so deep into those characters that it starts to affect you and change you as a writer, as a performer, as an actor. Uh, and I can say for my limited career in acting, which was essentially high school stage performance mm -hmm. and a little bit in college, um, when you when you try to become that character, you absorb those traits, and there's there's something a little creepy about it when it happens. There's something a little bit creepy about it when you're writing it too, because sometimes the character that you th it's almost like it's you're channeling that character. Sure. It's not really you that's writing it because I've written things where the character says and does things and I know other writers out there have had this experience too where like you're writing something and all of a sudden you realize that your character is very violent and I'm not a violent person or this character is this way and it's it's strange and I think actors probably have the toughest job in the process because they have to embody that yeah and when they embody that the best actors are ones that absorb those traits and portray them that's what compels you as a viewer of a movie. The character has to be believable. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And in order to be believable, you have to absorb and emulate those traits. And when you're dealing with somebody that's sick, twisted, or disturbed, I think it's a dangerous thing to do. Yeah, that's a good question. And, and are you familiar with the Lee Strasberg, the method acting? Right. There's that thing like, I can go both ways on this when I've had this conversation and this debate with people before about whether the person is a good actor because they can, to Dan's point, they make it believable because they're just so good at the performance or do you really have to go down that method acting from like you got to do it. You know, there, I remember there was a comedian a long time ago who said that um, when they heard that uh, De Niro was playing Frankenstein, he'll do that. They'll actually have him put bolts in his neck, you know, because that's, he's so dedicated to that. Right. But, you know, it's kind of like what we talked about in the Oscar episode of the night story that you run with this about, you know, McConaughey losing weight and Jared Leto losing all that weight. And we talked a little bit off the, the recording about Christian Bale. And then you can go back and look at like what De Niro did when he played Jay Clamada in Raging Bull. Right. right. Those people who just completely throw themselves into that yeah. role, which I get that part. But I guess I don't understand the whole thing about and, and maybe that's the part that I just wrestle with. There's that element about how you can't eventually let the character go. I think that was what really got me about Ledger. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's really kind of turning with me with Seymour Hoffman because of the whole, it's death of a salesman. I mean, not, I'm not criticizing it, but right. it, that role's been done to death by about a billion people. Mm -hmm. How could that role create that much turmoil with somebody that, okay, I can't let this character go? It's hard I, to I, say. I, I, I think it has to be there already. Yeah, yeah I, I'm with you. Because on that. like yeah, Daniel yeah. Day Lewis, whenever he's on set, from the first day he steps foot on set till they wrap and he's gone, he's his character. I've heard yeah. that. You about talk it. to yeah, him. Yeah, I've read that before. Like when he's built, when he's Bill the Butcher off the set, you call him Bill. You know, when he's in his trailer, you call him Bill. He's Bill the Butcher oh. until it's over. It was for Lincoln. Because I okay. heard that, 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 I can't remember who I read yeah. it, either Spielberg said it or maybe Sally Field said it, but that was the thing, like, he he walked on set and he was Abraham Lincoln. Right. And that was it. Yeah. You're, you're best Until they wrap. Your best actors are sponges. They absorb and they want to be that character. I mean, they, they research the character, especially if it's somebody that's a real person. Uh, who was the guy that played Pig Vomit in uh, Howard Stern's movie? Oh, Paul Giamatti. Oh, yeah, Paul Giamatti. Yeah. Yeah, whenever he played Adams. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it was at, oh, HBO. It was HBO. HBO. Yeah. When he, he was Adam, 
I know as an actor, he did a ton of research about that. You know, See, on and, that and, I'm, and I'm granted, and that's terrible because he's always going to be Pigflo. <laughs> you know that's, what I mean? That's and why that's I referred to him right, as Pigflo. And, and, and it's so <laughs> funny because I remember when that movie came out, people were like, Craig, did you see that? And I'm like, no. I said, you know why? Because all I can think of is, yeah, damn Howard Stern. You know, like, it, that, I can only think of that. Even when he was under a shit ton of latex in the Planet of the Apes reboot, <laughs> right. I still thought of him as Pigflo. Hey, whatever happened to that? Did they... I guess they just gave up on that. They're just like, okay, we're going to go this other route now yeah. with, with Planet of the Apes. Yeah, probably good. But anyway. Well, yeah, which is fine because it doesn't have Mark Wahlberg or his cock in it. <laughs> as we referred to in episode 14. Right. So back to... You know, <laughs> it, it's hard because you see somebody like Daniel DeBillis who's successful. Where he, I don't think when you want to follow over, Mark he turns Wahlberg's it cock. With it's hard. Yeah. A, a brief it's hard and then it's hard. <laughs> Or maybe we do. Michael Fassbender's. Or hey now. That's a piece. But but see, that's the thing. I get, I would be a big hypocrite if I didn't acknowledge that people tend to want to lose themselves in a role by altering their conscious. I get that. Right. I do. Again, I don't want to profess to know what demons Philip Seymour Hoffman was fighting because you said there was probably something there before. As As with going back to with Kurt Cobain, I mean. That guy had issues. It didn't matter how much success he... Most musicians, most poets, most actors are looking for attention. Somewhere in our lives, we... Well, that's a stereotype. That's a cliche. I'll speak for myself then. Somewhere in our lives, we didn't get the attention that we wanted or needed or thought we should get. And so a lot of what we do is a cry for, hey, look at me, look at what I'm doing. You grow up and it's still that need for validation or attention or whatever but i also think a lot of artists and writers and musicians see the world differently they see things that the normal normal in quotations person doesn't see in the world and we've talked about this before on the show but i think that's your job as an artist is to draw attention to something and to make people look at things in a different way i think it could be somewhat of a respect thing too the think about like that your place of employment and the people who are considered your peers and you kind of like look down to them where i work at you do the same job as i do but you're not me like i want the respect so in order to get that respect i'm gonna completely envelop what it is that i am or embody what it is that i am and then that's where it takes over uh, that could be i mean that that's that's definitely <clears throat> because possible. i mean i mean you have movie after movie that comes out that's there just to make money yeah that the performances are crap yeah that you know you guys call back a couple last week or the week before you're talking about al pacino and robert de niro just checking it in <laughs> right they're right, there right. for the paycheck right well somebody's there because they love the craft right. and they see the person that's there for the paycheck and the person that loves the job and the only way for them to be fulfilled and satisfied and to have that respect is knowing that somebody's going to say, I'm going to sit down and watch this movie because I know he's going to bring it. Yeah. So then he has to bring it. So he's yeah. going to go there. He's willing to go there. Those are the movies that I want to see. I don't care about the blockbusters because I know those people have all checked it in because they're getting that paycheck. Right. Yeah. I want to see the one where. Yeah. And, and that was how I used to feel about De Niro and Pacino. Yes. You know, it's a sad commentary. Because I used to be like that. It's like, hey, I know these guys are going to bring it like every every time they show up on screen. Have you guys seen uh, The Pursuit of Happiness? That's the Will uh, Smith, Will Smith yeah. Jaden Smith. No. You need to see that. That is a phenomenal movie. I thought about it when we were doing the last episode, and I specifically think about it during this episode when we're talking about someone that is someone that is deep into that character and really giving you the raw emotion. Yeah. Because I think that's what you 
when you see a good movie, that's what you're tied to is the character and the emotion that they're delivering, not the special effects and the explosion. I mean, that's fun too, but the movies that you remember and that really sit with you and that you, for instance, if I talk about Shawshank Redemption, what resonates with you is not special effects or things like that, but just the characters and the, the interplay between the characters. Mm -hmm. I think that's really any great movie is the interplay between the characters because that's really what a story should be yeah. is about the character. It's something in that character that you can connect with and identify with and it's the drama and putting yourself in their role and the best actors do that. They put themselves yeah. in the role of that character and you're able to, because of their talent and because of their craft, you're able to become that character with them. Yeah. And they do it to a higher level, obviously, because anything theater is always overacting. Anything that you do on stage, you have to go five times what it should be in order to get the proper reaction from the people in the audience. Well, yeah, and you have to you have to speak to the back of the theater too, and that exactly. Does, there, so I no... think that's what happens to people like Philip Seymour Hoffman, where they buy into that role, they buy into that character, and they're delivering it five times larger than what that could be. You're seeing it's a good perspective. You're getting the small percentage of it as an audience member, but what he's giving to you is so much deeper. And he has to buy into it. And maybe that's what happens to those guys. And maybe that is what happened. You you had mentioned before we were talking about this about, you know, like uh, the, the Phoenixes, you know, River. Right. What about Shia LaBeouf? He's off the reservation. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. he's always been on. He's always, he been, always on, been off yeah, the He's always been off the reservation. Okay. I didn't know he's that. He's always been. I think that the problem with him is I think he, he had a vision of him as an actor. And Hollywood has a vision of him as an actor. I got you. And he's being pulled towards the Hollywood side, and that's not what he wants. I don't. I don't feel bad for him at all. I don't either. He wasn't really good in the Transformer films. He wasn't very good. He wasn't very good in the Crystal Skull movie. <laughs> um, that's not. Yeah. Well, I think what else was, was he? Was he? Was, he was. Yeah, he wasn't. <laughs> he was. He was okay in Lawless, but I think the oh, I forgot cast itself carried that. Yeah, but that was that wasn't Gary Oldman in that. Yeah. And Tom Hardy was in it. Yeah. So Gary Oldman is like and Gary Oldman carries. Most things he carried, he, he carried Robocop. The, did he? The, yes, yeah, <laughs> that guy, I tell you what, I mean, he looks yeah. like whoever he wants to be. Yeah, he's I mean, if incredible. you look at Gary Oldman from one movie to another movie, if I told you he was Drac Count Dracula and he was also in the Luke Besson project, um, uh, the fifth element, the fifth element, yes, the fifth element and Dracula. I mean, the same well, actor, that was holy shit. Going back to what you said there, Mike, there, Gary Oldman was to me still that guy who I think, well, all right, if Oldman's in it, if he signed off on it, then it's probably worth seeing. Yeah. So you saw, not to go off topic here, but we are good. We're going to do a little road trip here. All right. So you saw Robocop. I did. You saw the new one. Yes. Let's give the listeners, Mike Sarah's quick review of Robocop. Robocop, Robocop 2014. Robocop 2014 is good for a February movie. Okay. So if you listen back to the last episode yeah. where we discussed January and February, so we're going to swill Sometimes right. there's a gem. Yeah. It's not a gem, but it's good. It's good for what it is. I mean, if okay. you go back and watch Robocop, it's slightly cheesy. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, but, but I think you, you expect that because what is that? 87. Right. So you were in that 80s. Were, that was big Hollywood. Yeah. You know? And that was just those were the times. Everything was was big and cheesy. But they dusted off some, you know, Michael Keaton. They dusted off Michael Keaton for RoboCop, and I thought he did an excellent job as the head of Omnicorp. 
Oh, so is he the Ronnie Cox role? Or was 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 Ronnie Cox? He he's he's the guy who runs, who's making all the decisions behind. You know, okay, okay. we're going to make to make RoboCop and stuff. They, they do things a little bit differently in in this film. In this film, um, like the Ed 209s already exist. Okay, because they're creating this like giant war machine that they're using for civil obedience. Okay, okay. All right, so without giving any of the plot away, not the entire plot, right. to, the, to the listeners, you give it a thumbs up? You, I mean, you say it's worth seeing? Oh, I think it's worth a, worth a rental. Yeah, it's worth a rental. It's worth it's a rental. rental. Yeah. It's not worth going to the um, If you have a theater that has, like, matinee prices all day, sure, it's it's worth that, but it's not worth a night out and a bucket of popcorn. Who, who, is, who is RoboCop in this one? Um, Do I, we know the guy? I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe he was the guy that was on the killing Okay. Is he British? It can't be the same guy from the original because Dexter killed him. Isn't everybody, everybody <laughs> that plays a hero now is British? Um, I don't know if the guy's British. Or not. I'm sure he might be. Did you see that commercial? Oh, yeah, I did, actually, but that's all the villains. The villains. Yeah, the villains are British. We talk, but, well, they we talk like better. Cause. But the superheroes are all British, too. They just have, they don't have yeah, their accents. They I mean, drop their accent for Superman. Yeah, because yeah, Henry Cavill's British and Bale is, okay with is, that. is Bale British or Australian? He's something. He was he's Welsh. He, oh, well, I could be wrong. He's Sean Palmer. Right? <laughs> wrong. wrong. Yeah. All right. So, okay. Well, that's. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna probably move into a break here. We're gonna move off the somber topic of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Well, and uh, well, before, what, before we before, do, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, you guys interesting, are my break. Interesting trivia yeah. thing. Interesting what's, trivia piece. What's that? Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Jack Black, and him competed for a lot of the same roles. Is that is that true? Is that, that why is, you? That's why I mentioned that in the beginning, because Jack Black actually had said, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see, and I haven't looked for it, what his reaction was to Philip Seymour Hoffman's death, because a lot of times he complained that the two of them would compete for the same role or try out for the same role, and Philip Seymour Hoffman would end up getting it. Really? Yes. See, I can't picture Jack Black as Art Howe. You can't picture him as Scotty? <laughs> I can't. Um, and to me, Philip Seymour Hoffman will always be Scotty, despite all the other things that he's done. And because I think that was his breakout role. Which one, Scotty? The the Dirk Dingler in Buggy. He was the yeah, one that yeah. was in love with Dirk. Well, they, Dingler. They, in, in the in the article about him, they actually do talk about that as a and Magnolia. As a, as Magnolia, he was phenomenal. Well, so that's so. Before we go to break in, so open up. You've seen a lot of movies, Mike. Yeah. What indelible two, mark did he leave on you? Two of his that I really liked was uh, Owning Mahoney. Uh, Oni Mahoney, he plays a guy who uh, works at a bank in Canada, but um, has a horrible gambling addiction, and he spends a lot of time hustling people's money out of their accounts and taking it to Atlantic City. Awesome. Um, and we then, said the same uh, word at the same time. Yes, we did. Um, doubt, where he plays a priest yeah, who yeah, yeah. is, you know, kind of thought of yeah, being on a little bit of the sketchy side. Didn't he, he get nominated? Didn't somebody win for Doubt? I thought somebody won an Oscar for that. Like the supporting know. actress or, or yeah, but it's right. really good too. Yeah, I mean, is it? He's he's believed to have you know. I got you. All right, all right, all right. Dan, do you have a favorite? Anything about? Uh, of course, the, I love the Big Lebowski too. Oh well, yeah, <laughs> he was in, that's right. He yeah. was in Big Lebowski. <laughs> 
I forgot, I forgot about so, that entirely. Uh-huh. I thought it was a hoax whenever I found out he was. He's so young. I thought it was a hoax, too. I think old social media hoax about yeah. you know, Celine Dion was killed in the car or accident. Jackie Chan. You know, or or Jackie whatever. Chan died again. Right, right, right. I'd completely forgotten that he was in Scent of a Woman. Yeah. What? I mean, he's just, he's the other guy. The troublemaker. Yeah. I, I woke up uh, last Saturday night and uh, Scent of a Woman was on one of the Encore channels. And, what was it? Down and it was the, the other one you said? Owning Mahoney. Owning it was. It was the very I'm making end. a list here, folks. Okay. I'm going to watch these. So you, you doubt, but what did we find out about it? Did somebody win something? Was somebody in it? Meryl Streep was in it, so I'm sure well, that's what it was. nominated. There's right. a nomination. <laughs> I think she did get nominated. Yeah. Uh, any other, but anybody else in the supporting cast? Is Sam Jackson in it? <laughs> you got no, damn right. So. Amy Adams is in it. Amy Adams, of course. Shark I think Amy, Amy Adams did get nominated for for something in doubt. There's no doubt about it. When I was reading the article and they were going through with like the films, I'm like, I don't really. Rem-, but I will say this, and I think it was the the post death guilt that I had. I hated him in the third Mission Impossible hated, movie. Hated, hated you. I really did. I did. I did. I just didn't like him in that role. And then after he passed away, I watched it. Yeah, that was a shitty role. I was like, yeah, you know what? He's actually. I bet Jack Black was up for that. He might have been. He might have been up for that. I I thought he was really good in Moneyball, um, but again, I'm, I'm partial. It was a it was a baseball movie. Okay. And Sorkin was. Are you are you a baseball fan? I am. I like I like that movie. Yeah. I didn't think Jonah Hill should have been nominated, but... Yeah, I mean, that movie, that's that's one of those ones you got to watch like three or four times for it to really catch on. In supporting roles, he was just fantastic. I mean, his role in Boogie Nights was great. Yeah. His, his role in Magnolia was fantastic. And then um, as everybody was giving their eulogies, I didn't see anybody calling out his role in Twister. <laughs> you know, that, that, did, that just didn't make it onto the list of great Philip Seymour Hoffman roles. He was in Happiness, too. Fair enough. I, I did not know that. Actually, what I looked up was Jack Black is haunted by Philip Seymour Hoffman, which is funny because this article's from 2006. So it's been a while since he's been haunted by him. Well, School of Rock star Jack Black is tortured by Oscar-winning actor Philip Seymour Hoffman because they compete for the same roles, and Hoffman always wins. Well, well it just juxtapose those roles. Imagine Philip Seymour Hoffman in School of Rock. And, and and then put Jack Black in like Capote. <laughs> that would be bad. Right. Black insists he is happy with his comedic roles, but feels it would be easier to land an acclaimed dramatic part if he didn't have to face such stiff competition from the Best Actor Oscar winner. He explains, he's tormented me over the years because we're like a similar body type, but he's always been a little bit better than me. See, I, that, that just sounds like a little no, Knowing Jack Black a little bit, that, that sounds like it's a lark. Like, <laughs> yeah. He probably said that, but it was probably so tongue-in-cheek. But somebody was probably there with their, their pen and paper, like, oh, my God, I got a scoop here. Jack Black is haunted by <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman. I never saw him at an audition. I would just see him in the movie. I wanted that part in Boogie Nights. I wanted that part in Happiness. But I'm such a huge fan of his. Now, see, Jack Black would have been good in. That's from Hollywood.com. Yeah, he would have been. He would have been, been, been Scotty. Well, then he would have been. He would have been believable in Twister, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> Did you guys read the thing? Because I, I, I put a thing out there on on the social media. Matthew McConaughey and about, Demons. No, about what Aaron Sorkin had, had written about him because they worked together a couple of times on they money did? on money yeah because sorkin wrote the screenplay for moneyball oh did he, he really yeah and he wrote the screenplay for charlie wilson's war they were on set together a couple times and sorkin is an addict he's a coke addict and that's he, right and, and he's always been fighting i remember you put, put and they were having this conversation about the heroin sorkin told hoffman 
you stay know, away from it. The only reason I never tried that is because I'm squeamish of the needles, and Hoffman said, stay squeamish. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, it's like, he, clearly, you know, he had demons, and, you know, let's say, you know, back to the, our, our initial conversation, people who are... Well, I mean, you, with that you know aspect. you're an addictive personality, yeah. you stay away from things that are highly addictive. That's why I don't go to the casino. <laughs> Good for you. Who works down there? Uh, Al. Al works yeah. here. Yeah. Our newsman. I, I gotta tell you, before we go to break, which we've delayed now, you guys got a real Anchorman thing working over You guys get, I love it. I love the way he reads the stories. I don't know where you get, does he find those himself or do you find them? Uh, yeah, he finds the majority of them, but if I'm looking online, I see something, we definitely send it his way. Listeners have sent, sent stuff too. My favorite so far is the woman that was married to the, the Ferris wheel. Oh yeah, the object sexuals. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a documentary. I don't know if it was, if it was on Netflix or YouTube about yeah, object sexuals. And there was a, one woman who was like uh, absolutely in love with one, like the flying carpet, you know, they have at Kennywood. Yeah. And she would go and like really? before the we park have, we opened. Have some local claim to fame, fame here. Though. And and like rubbing the axle grease on her face. <laughs> for some reason, I, that's this is all sounding vaguely familiar. Like I've heard this story before as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it. It, it went around a couple of years yeah. ago. The the, well, the video. She's been around. She's been around. <laughs> and around. So before we go to break. Right. Tell everybody again where they can find you because, you know, I think we've we've not hit upon that enough. So where can people find these great stories about women falling in love with roller coasters and Ferris wheels and <laughs> lubricating themselves in axle grease? We're at the cavemanmafia.com. Uh, we're available on iTunes and St- Stitcher. <laughs> I just fell out of what, this iTunes and Stitcher, uh, Blackberry's podcast, Zoom's podcast, uh, facebook.com forward slash caveman mafia and at caveman mafia on twitter you guys are as they say ubiquitous you are fucking everywhere we try to be you are you're out there you're always welcome to be part of the mafia family there you go that the 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 mafia is all encompassing let's let's hit a break you know what you should do in honor of the harrowing tale of uh philip seymour hoffman you should shoot up some heroin i don't have it (laughs) All right. Well, in we'd have of, to head downtown and find some unsavory characters. In, to find in that lieu kind of, of that, we we should, um, if you're able to do it, you should you should take us into our break with uh, the harrowing songs of uh, Robin Brown. Ah. Yeah, I think that would fit. Our nicely. good friend from England. Yes, we should we should give him another plug. We should play, we should play him again. Yeah, everybody, listen to this uh, this nice little number, and we're going to take a quick break.
Welcome back, everybody. You're with Mike Sarah, the father. See, now you're, now you're starting off the second episode in a serious note, and we're not. The second part of the episode. Yeah, I'm just whispering to people. We're, we're going to be fun. Let me whisper. The, the first half ear. was a little, little more Actually, somber. You know what? A little downer. I'm going to whisper in your left ear. Whoa. Now I'm going to whisper in your right ear. Here we are in the Ninth Story Podcast with Mike Sarah. Craig Weber over here on the left. He's going quadraponic like a Floyd show. You know? <laughs> this is definitely a headphone episode. If you don't have headphones on, you won't catch it. Dan just went Roger Waters on us over there. He's just moving stuff around. That's right. Yeah, the first half of the episode was a little, little bit somber. You know, we talked about Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mike, uh, yeah, he livened things up with his uh, on ad hoc review of RoboCop, which I appreciate. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. We, had, we were having some technical difficulties, <laughs> so Mike and I carried the show there for a few minutes. So for the second half, we're gonna we're gonna talk about um, let's talk about movies that are awful, but are still good. But are still good. That's right. Yeah. Mike has a list prepared for us. Yeah. So so before we get to Mike's list and before we talk about dance thing. Um, I don't have anything prepared. Mike Nelson. Do you know Mike Nelson? Jimmy, he was he was on your show, right? Was he on? No, no, no. Well, I wish he was. That was Nelson yeah, Piles. Was awesome. oh, okay. and, and no offense, Nelson Piles. No, but Nelson's if, awesome. But if Dan got Mike Nelson on here, you need to listen to the last episode of the Wicked Library. I do. I, well, I like the, I listen to Nelson stuff. He's got a king sized accent on this episode, and it's phenomenal. So Mike Nelson. Uh, was on Mystery Science Theater. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, and, okay. and he's actually he's 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 very he's he's a very good he's a very funny writer. Yes. Um, he had this book years well, ago. He wrote the whole thing, didn't he? Well, Joel Hogsden started. Oh, that's right. Nelson that's right. took that's right. over. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Nelson was always a. I'm pretty sure he was always a writer on the show before Joel left, and then Mike took over and sat with the robots. Okay. Um, but he's actually written a couple of pretty funny books. He has a book called Mike Nelson's Movie Mega Cheese, okay. where he really kind of talks about movies that are just god awful, but you still watch for some reason. Um, there were a couple of little ditties that I wanted to quote, and we'll put his book out in the show notes. It's, yes, it's it's from 2000, Harper Collins book, but you know you can probably still find it if you want to. It's it's a it's it's worth reading. Um, but a couple of funny things he said. He talks about Roadhouse, and he says, "Quote: For Roadhouse is the single finest American film. Certainly, it stinks, but I believe the filmmakers meant it to and succeeded grandly." Now, before we get going with some of our topics, I agree with him wholeheartedly. I'm Roadhouse is all my list. Roadhouse is one of the best bad movies ever. See, and we'll talk. We'll talk about that. And then he says he's talking about Batman and Robin, the Clooney, the nipple, yeah, the, the nipple, the nipple Batman. Uh, and he yeah, says, uh, "Towers will tell you all about that." <laughs> for instance, while I thought that Batman and Robin roundly sucked. Others may think that it eats. Still others may think that it bites or completely blows. And some might even hold that it totally munches. <laughs> and then last but not least, he says, he, and he talks about in, in the context of how you will watch a bad movie and then somehow it kind of grows on you and you change your opinion about it. Uh, but very tongue in cheek when he says, at one time I found Waterworld to be about as exciting as waiting for bread to toast. <laughs> I now consider it to be nauseating and revolting. Quite a turnabout. <laughs> so, and, and I get where he's coming from. There are those movies that you watch that you're like, that's a bad movie, but it kind of, you know, I'm indifferent to it. But then the more you see him, you're like, man, that's a bad movie, and I'm just offended by how <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. But it can go the other way, too. It's like there are bad movies that you think are bad the first time, and then there's something, there becomes something endearing about them. So, a lot of bad movies end up being more quotable. Yeah, I. Than- yeah, absolutely. Then good ones. Yeah. So in that vein, with Mike Nelson kind of kicking us off, he talks about some actors. You're like, here are bad films by a single actor. And then he kind of focuses on genres. 
And there's a really funny section where he focuses on the five families of bad films. You know, and he talks about like the Dylan brothers, okay. Matt, Matt and Kevin. Right. Uh, he talks about Sheen Estevez. <laughs> but he talks about the Wayans brothers. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's, it's very witty. And then he talks about the legends of bad film. Um, and like Andrew McCarthy's in there, which I think oh, okay. is hilarious that he throws in. So bad movies. What, what, what do we want well, to say about Roadhouse? Is, Roadhouse is number one on my list. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> that's that's awesome. I, I that absolutely is love how horrible Roadhouse is. <laughs> Dude, and it made me it made me mad a couple weeks ago. Whenever you, you had the, uh, the doctor on the on the show, and you were talking about man's men, and Dalton wasn't one of the man's yeah. men. I was like, he's the epitome of the man's man. <laughs> he's soft when he needs to. He's a bouncer who doesn't want to fight. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> it, it's funny. Roadhouse. I actually a buddy of mine actually bought. Roadhouse was a couple years ago for the DVD. I was on the uh, I was on the uh, you know Amazon wait list to be notified when it was available. Oh really? I was like I need to own this yeah. movie. I, so, so I have it, and but it is it, it is one of those movies that I think everybody knows it was bad. I think it was purposely yeah. written to be bad, and but there's something but about fun. it that is so watchable. It's fun. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a fun, it's a fun movie, movie to watch. And to your point, Mike. There is so much quotable dialogue from that really bad movie. And if you're around the right group of guys, I mean, you probably do it as yeah. well. You just find yourself saying, you know, you need no setup to go, the double deuce. Yeah. And everybody gets it. You know what I mean? Pain don't hurt. Right. There's just so much good stuff. About it. I mean, and it's, and it's just... It's just bad all around because the, the bad guy, Ben Gazzara. Yeah. Know, it's like, I think he, is this guy really running the town? Yeah, exactly. He, he's, not, he's not the textbook heavy. No. <laughs> it's fucking Ben Gazzara. For crying out loud. Right. But anyway, what do you have to say about Roadhouse? I mean, I, I'm sorry. You bring it up and then I start talking. No, no. Absolutely. I feel everything that you're feeling. But you got Terry Funk. You got the Jeff Healy band. I mean... <laughs> It's at all the all the all the ingredients. You got a monster truck running through a car dealership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything that was big at that point in time is in that movie. It's like, well, wrestling's huge. Let's get a wrestler. I we forgot Terry all about Funk. Terry Funk. And then you know the um, Sam Elliott. That that's just okay, sold yes. it for the. If Patrick Swayze wasn't enough, the women are going to show up for Sam Elliott. Oh, Sam Elliott. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> you know what's missing from that movie? Gary Busey. <laughs> Gary Busey should. He would have fit right in with that movie. He would have. Yeah, he would have. Um, I, Kelly Lynch, oh, I, I thought she was she was fantastic. She was not in enough stuff because uh, she kind of her her star kind of rose pretty quickly and then it fell. Um, but she, I thought she was a nice she was a nice piece of ace. Yeah, yeah. You but definitely I, get to see all of it too in, uh, yeah, in Roadhouse. Yeah, in the in the barn, right? Yeah, <laughs> she's like a she helped chocolate. Patrick raise his barn. Exactly. So what else you got on that list of movies? That, well, uh, I tried to preface it by anything on the list had to be um, certified rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> okay. Oh, all right. Well, that's a good so, qualifier. And, and some of these are newer. Um, one that's high on my list that I, I really like and, and I was, I'm kind of offended that it got horrible reviews was Sucker Punch um, this is you know this is a, a video game um, fans like wet dream it's <laughs> it's a bunch of girls that are like running around in typical video game girl gear and fighting and, I mean the fighting is ridiculous the, the story the story is about this girl who um who has a stepfather that beats the shit out of well, her. There you go. So she she tries to kill him, but instead kills her sister. The stepfather has her locked up in an insane asylum so that he can get all of their dead mother's inheritance. Nice. And but she's, As you do. she's a little 
nuts. That's why she's in this, the insane asylum. So she's picturing herself as this other character, baby doll. She has to figure out how to get out of the insane asylum. So they need, you know, there's a list of five things that you need to get. I mean, it's the movie to describe <laughs> it, like it is ridiculous. It's, so this so, is, I, it's I, like King's I, Quest. I know of this movie, but I never knew that was what it was about. To, to talk about it, it actually does sound like it's a ridiculous movie. Bring the pie to the Yeti. <laughs> oh, I don't, so maybe I need to reevaluate myself. I don't think you fully understand how silly it sounds. You'll, you'll, you'll have fear. Have you ever seen Fear? Fear is this is, the Mark Wahlberg yes. one? Yeah, Reese uh, Witherspoon, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and William L. Peterson before anybody knew he was William L. Peterson. Yes. Fear. Now this one, this one also goes back to your talking about, uh, and you, you want to talk about movies where animals are mutilated. Um, there's oh, yes, yeah. so let's please. That's 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 our main topic here on Night Story: animals that are mutilated. There's a there's this. Well, the, the whole story. Is Mark Wahlberg is like this psychopath in love with Reese Witherspoon, right? And William Peterson's this architect who builds an indestructible house, and Mark Wahlberg's going to get in there. And, and Peterson is Reese Witherspoon's dad, dad right? Yes. right? Right, right, right. Yeah. Mark Wahlberg has a big cock. That's um, before the prosthetic penis. Is it Amy Brenneman? It is, is Amy Brenneman. It is. You're right. It is Amy Brenneman. That's right. Judging Amy. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the the scene in the movie is that the dog gets out and Mark Wahlberg and the boys get it. And spoiler alert: they lance off the head, and the kids blow in the dog whistle for the dog to come in the house. And they hold oh. the head in the dog door and then just drop it. Oh my. <laughs> God, this sounds like something Stephen King wrote. I remember... (laughs) Nobody um, kills dogs like Stephen King. I I was goaded into watching that film, Mike, back in, like... This is, like, 97, right? Somebody at work um, actually said, Oh, it's the greatest movie. You've got to watch that. No, yeah, yeah. It was a younger girl. You know, I was like, well, you know, William L. Peterson, he was good in To Live and Die in L.A. I mean, this was before CSI. Nobody really knew who he was. I mean, he had been in that. He'd been in Manhunter, which I love. And he uh, was it, he killed that squid in that, uh, <laughs> in that there was that made for TV movie. <laughs> what the fuck? Are you there, there was a, there was a Peter Bachelet made for TV. He killed a squid. I think it might have been called the squid, but I don't know. But yeah, that that movie's is is bad. Yeah, it's but, bad, but it's also quotable. It is know? quotable, and it's on a lot, yeah. and people watch it. It is one of those again that it fits the criteria of like this. well. Uh, well, you know, William, William Peterson from the door knows that Walt, Mark Wahlberg is a bad. Scene. What's the name of this movie again? Fear. 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 Yeah. And so he's, he's trying to do whatever to watch. He's trying to do whatever he can to get Mark Wahlberg to stay away from the girl. And if you because have, he's got the prosthetic cock. Yeah. If you, <laughs> if you have any of the encores, it's on all the time. It is one. Yeah, of, it's, it's, a, it's one of those movies that is constantly on. And so it definitely falls into that category. Two AM movies that are on all you know just constantly, constantly. What else? What, what what do you got next? What you got uh, there? Okay, there's a, a two. I think it's 2003 film. This, it's called The Room. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this movie. The if room. you can get your hands on it to watch it, this is this is the movie that is so incredibly awful that it's hysterical. That you can't turn away from it. Everybody, The Room. It was uh, Tommy Wiseau is the writer, producer, director, star. The movie cost something like seven million dollars to make, and it's the production value is ridiculous. Like, there's a scene where they're on a roof, like they used green screen to film themselves on a roof, but they were on a roof when they filmed it. (laughs) (laughs) The guy goes into a, a roof access access door and turns left. But the roof access door is on the left wing of the building. If he would have turned left, he'd have fallen off the building and disappeared into nothing. Like, <laughs> it's so bad. Oh, that's funny. That's, that's tremendous. 
I'm not familiar with that one. Like that one, that one's not. I got it on the list here. It's not one of those ones that's like, like Roadhouse or or sure. Fear, where it's so where it's good and bad at the same time. This one's just completely, just off. completely trash. Yeah. All right, all right. Um, Nothing redeeming about it other than the, the hilarity, the ridiculousness. So it would have been, a, it would have been good fodder for Mystery Science Theater. It's like yeah. oh, let's yeah. watch this because yeah. somebody actually spent money to make this. They're, at one point, they're playing foot catch, yeah, in tuxedos, and they're standing like as far as we are away from each other, throwing the ball back and forth. Because and his excuse is it one camera or does it? Do they actually? It's have just yeah, it's just one camera. Yeah. And the whole reason his his whole reason for it was it. It's a, there's always a good time to have a catch. <laughs> that was why he put it in the movie. All right. Horrible. Um, Spaceballs. Oh. Spaceballs. I love Spaceballs. Wasn't his code one, two, three, four, five? Yeah, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. I think I think you can put. Um, I don't want to generalize, but I think you can put a lot of Mel Brooks films yeah. into the yeah. into the they're bad, but they're there's something about them that's watchable and will watch Blazing Saddles. Well, Blazing Saddles is great. All fucking yeah. Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles is good. Yeah, that's one he got. Put that, well, yeah. he got that right. Yeah, I mean him and well, I mean it helped that he had Richard Pryor working on the movie with yeah. him. Right, um, they live. Oh, oh we talked a, a little bit one. about they live with uh, with towers. Yeah, when, yeah. We, when we were talking about uh, conspiracy carpenters' good work. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, that, to your point, from from before you have the special sunglasses, didn't you? Well, that and it was yes. everything that was big at the time. You know, it was like, hey, it's <laughs> 1986, 1987. We need to have Roddy Roddy Piper in a movie. Right. You know, right. like, hey, wrestling's really big. You know who should be a star? Roddy Piper. <laughs> well, everybody Obviously. loves him. Right. Right. He's like, yeah, that, that is a horrible movie. And then finally, I have, uh, this is a more recent one, is uh, The Man with the Iron Fist. I don't know if you're into, like, old-time kung fu movies, but... The Man with the Iron Fist was co-written by the RZA, uh, who's oh, a rapper yeah, yeah, from yeah, the yeah. Wu-Tang Clan. Is this the, wasn't this one co-produced or produced by Quentin Tarantino? Didn't Tarantino have something? Yeah, the Irish, they're coming to get us because <laughs> we're mentioning this movie. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's Russell Crowe is in it. Uh, Squash about wrestlers being in movies. David Batista is okay. in it. Um, Lucy Liu is in it. So it, it's a it's. He, I mean, the RZA is actually is honestly a fan of the kung genre, fu films. Right? Yeah, I mean, Wu Tang Clan, all that's that. Absolutely. And so this was his attempt to write a, a kung fu movie. So you know, you've got the the five families all fighting over one area, and he, and he plays the blacksmith who makes all the best weapons in the realm. So <laughs> so, so he kind of wrote himself into there to be the Hitori Hansu yes. of that movie. Exactly. Which, to your point. He, he does like, he's a fan of the genre. So he was right. trying to probably do an homage and he probably really tried. And I know he, he, that's why Tarantino had him score both the Kill Bill films. I mean, he does, the right. rest of the soundtracks on it. Yeah. It's, it's like, hey, he really loves this genre. So he's going to, he's going to put in a good effort and he's going to give me quality product. But I guess when they turned the pen Ooh. over to the RZA. It was weird because uh, he, he did the soundtrack for this too. And the first part of the movie, his style of um, rap fits. Mm-hmm. Kung Fu really well, but then he tries to steal music from other <laughs> movies, and it totally kills it. See, see, that's why I think, even though Quentin Tarantino was kind enough to say the RZA did the soundtrack to Kill Bill 1 and 2, what that really meant was, I'm going to use the RZA's name, but I'm still going to be the musical supervisor okay. yeah. with all my projects, and I'm going to pick the music, and however he wants to sync that up to a drum machine, that's all up to him. Right. I'll give him credit. Casio right. drum machine? Right, right. But because you know, it was that same type of thing. There was a lot of there was urban music. There was there was stuff that you would be like, yeah, that's the RZA. But then there'd also be those obscure '60s and '70s tracks right. that Tarantino would pull in there. 
So. Well, the, yeah, at one point he grabs, I don't know if you guys have ever seen uh, John Woo's The Killer, yeah, Italian yeah, yeah. Fat. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a song that plays throughout that whole movie, and in the middle of Man with the Iron Fist, the lady uh, on stage is singing that song. And I mean, it's I guess it's his homage to that, yeah, yeah. but it, it totally takes you out. And then from that point forward, they're not using the same type of music anymore, and it kind of kills the movie. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I actually, I, ne- I never saw, I always wanted to see that maybe, but I never did. If you have uh, Cinemax, it, it's one of those, it's, it's like fear, it plays constantly. That and Heat. I love They're it. always yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. Heat, heat, heat is on frequently. We've got a little. Hey, this portion of the program is brought to you by the RZA. That's right. We got some dope beats going. So, so Dan, you got anything on the, uh, you got anything on your list of, uh, I do. Movies this this can... is my standard movie that I go back to whenever I talk about the worst movies ever. Blood and Donuts. Donuts? Have you ever seen this? No. It's a Canadian-made movie. Before you get into to, to any further on Blood and Donuts, uh, I was going to say, the, the drums were going crazy there. I thought it was the beginning of uh, Phil Collins' Take Me Home. <laughs> Which, it could be. We kind of fell into it, a loop it, there. It could be. Yeah, there's too much symbol going on now. Oh, now, wait, now we're backing up. All right. He's, yeah, he's just got his hand there. Yeah, we got some Welcome crazy... Welcome to the Night nice Story Podcast, where we play... Yeah. Oh, went, we don't. it went away. <laughs> okay, so it's Blood and Donuts. donuts. Yeah. It's a Canadian-made film. It's about a vampire. I'll read the, um, the synopsis to you from Internet Movie Database. In 1994 in Toronto, the vampire Boya awakens from his 25 years of sleep in a basement hit by a golf ball. <laughs> he takes a cab to a local cemetery, retrieves his belongings from a grave, and lodges in a low-budget hotel nearby, and... An all-night donut shop. Boya does not drink human blood anymore, but rats and pigeons' blood instead. While in the donut shop, Boya befriends and protects the taxi driver Earl, who is having trouble with two criminals, and falls in love with the waitress Molly. Meanwhile, his former passion of 1969, Rita, who misses her lost youth, is trying to locate him. So there's a lot of stuff going on. I was going to say there's a lot going on. The best part of this entire movie, spoiler alert, <laughs> is at the end of the movie, the cab, the cab driver dies. They used jelly from the donuts and jumper cables hooked up to the, his cab to bring him back to life. <laughs> what did they use the jelly for? Uh, as contact, you know, because whenever nice. you... Yeah. yeah, the lube. Yeah, the lube. That's awesome. Was the cabbie, was Earl played by Ernest Borgnine? <laughs> Um, was he alive when this movie was? <laughs> let's see who he was played by. Uh, Earl was played by Louis Ferrari. Yeah. Was Molly played by Molly Ringwald? No. Okay. Helene Clarkson. Is there anybody in this, this movie? This is a right totally now? Canadian north of the border movie. It was awful. Okay. How did you find this movie? I was up at 2 o'clock in the morning one night and it was on like HBO or Showtime or Blood and Donuts. Yeah, it's uh, the Canadians love their donuts. They do. Okay, Morton. Yeah, that's exactly Bismarck's. Right. That's right. They're Bismarck's. Yeah, Blood and Donuts. D O N U T S. It's a 1995 film. It's uh, so it's, it's coming up on on being like the 10 year anniversary of this film. Everybody should go out and get it. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be a special edition. Like Criteria. Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Ten years down the road, yeah, it'll be re released in the theaters. There'll be there'll be new um, 
George Lucas will put some new special effects in it for the... The director was Holly Dale, and the writer was Andrew Ray Burzens. What else? It was horrible. Okay. But is it rewatch it? I mean, is there anything redeeming about it? I don't know. If you've had enough to drink and it's 2 o'clock in the morning, it's a great flick. Okay. (laughs) Until he, like... Well, there's, like, a scene in the movie where, like, he wakes up from this whatever 40 year slumber a 25 year slumber he starts like he has these huge long fingernails and he just like starts breaking them off and he was he was awoken from his slumber by getting hit in the head with a golf with a golf ball yeah someone hits a golf ball and it comes in through the window and hits him in the head he's like i gotta break off my fingernails now and he's in the basement though yeah i mean who's the fucking golfer (laughs) he's just hanging out it's uh it's no 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 that's a rodney dick Yeah, no kidding. It's uh, Bill Murray. All right. I'm sure. <laughs> what else you got? Anything else on your list? Bad movies? Yeah. Um, I don't know. We could go with, like, the uh, Attack of the Clones. Uh, oh, now, come on. <laughs> well, they have to be bad movies that you like that, that are good to you. Like Striking Distance. <laughs> so, so was, speaking of Striking Distance... Bruce Willis was on the uh, the Legends list in oh, Mike, okay. Mike Nelson's book because I think you know I think Will's, um, Bruce Willis does make a lot of those movies yeah. that, that that are terrible you know you know I love watch them anyway oh yeah but I, I love Steve striking, striking Distance is like that because Striking Distance has got awful bad yeah um, <laughs> but it has a certain amount of rewatchability and there's a lot of there's a lot of good lines of cheesy dialogue in that who's the best cop Tom? yeah who's the best cop exactly. you're always the best right, cop right. Always there's a, that movie is so bad I'm gonna keep coming back here it until really, somebody remembers seeing Nikki yeah. it's, it's just bad Steven and I remember, Seagal any Steven Seagal movie is on this list I remember when Striking Distance came out and somebody reviewed it that was like that was familiar with geography in Pittsburgh did you uh, they were talking about the car chases and they're yeah. like how can they be in the, all these different places yeah, like, absolutely it's impossible. geographically impossible <laughs> But anyway, um, so yeah, so 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 Willis is in there. Um, what about uh, Mike Nelson has a problem with uh, Jackie Chan just in general? And is there anything redeeming about Jackie Chan films? I, you he's lovable. I think that has to do with translation or dubbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I I enjoy uh, Asian cinema a lot, but I'll, I won't watch it if it's dubbed. And I you know I think. That's the problem. Yeah, is if you if you were to watch it in its natural state, so to speak, it would be better. It would be they're still going to be kind of campy and cheesy, but it wouldn't be as bad because you don't have those horrible voices or you have people speaking English that shouldn't clearly shouldn't be speaking English. No, that's that's a great point. And and, and the whole thing about you know staying in the vein of what what makes bad movies that we like, um, I think it does really go back to Mike Nelson's point about that. If, if it's intentionally made to be campy and cheesy and you kind of know that going into it, that that makes it. Yeah, this is yeah. a bad movie, but I'm going to keep watching it. Um, and that's what that's what's endearing about Roadhouse. That's what I love about the, the, the 1968 Batman movie, the one with Adam West and Burke. Okay. Yeah. That's a cheesy, campy movie. It is. But it's supposed to be. Right. And so that's what makes it watchable. You know, it's when it's when you were trying to make a good movie that came across as being cheesy and campy. Yeah. Yes, it, there's a big that, difference. That, that's where it falls. When you're like, hey, this is going to be a shit movie. Yeah. And, and it, yeah. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to your comment about, um, you know, that was originally, wasn't that originally supposed to be called Three Rivers? Yes. I, that, think, I think that's the well, the production name yeah, of it was. Yeah, that was the working title. Yeah. yeah. It was. It was this supposed to be. This is the one be. that's set in Pittsburgh. Yeah. I've seen this. He lives on a houseboat, right? Yep. Yes. Uh, he does. 
And he shagged because he's just, Sarah Jessica Parker yeah. rotten. Wouldn't she look hot? She that did. Yeah, before she, she looked did. like a horse. That was before she looked like a horse. That's yeah. exactly right. That's right. Horse or horse. And horse, uh, horse. his dad was uh, Frazier's dad. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you get the great Tom Sizemore's in it. And, oh, yeah, uh, I remember this. I like this movie. The, the, it's I like a, this it's movie a, a lot. It's a likable film. I like this flick. Like, what about um, Nelson kind of groups together Twister and Independence Day together? Okay. And the reason why he did that is because of the whole Bill Paxton, Bill Pullman thing. Oh, which okay. I love. It's because okay. his point is kind of like the, they're, they're both so bad. Um, as actors, right. and they're they're virtually interchangeable. That do you, do you have anything about those films? Because I, I will say, Twister. I like Twister. Twister, I will watch. You know, I watch the Twister. I, I see get, it on TV. I will get sucked into Twister. <laughs> um, and maybe that's maybe it's because Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> but but I will watch Twister. No, it's because it's so funny. Well, film. it's because you're going to see Helen Hunt's nipples. Wow, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and but Independence Back Day, when Helen Hunt was hot. I, I never liked. I don't like. Yeah. Never did. I remember the summer that was out, and everybody was like, "Oh my God, Craig, you got to go see this. this. Is the blockbuster and all blockbusters? This is the greatest movie." Ever. That movie I hated, hated, hated across the board, <laughs> and, and just um, I, I couldn't. I just I can't watch. I don't. Yeah, think there's that's anything. there's no rewatchability. There, for there's me not. What, what else? Anything else from the cheese? Days of Thunder. That was one that like I own it. I would never put the DVD in. Yeah. But I will watch it when it's on TV. Yeah, I do. I do that with a lot. Yeah. You know what the biggest problem I had with Days of Thunder was the fact wasn't Nicole Kidman like twenty five and she was like the head of yeah she was like the chief surgeon right. or whatever yeah yeah I mean it was like that's just not believable or she was the she was the step down from the director so whatever that's that was right. because that's, right. that's the only person she answered to yeah 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 it's 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 the same thing that problem that I have with like uh, I remember this one when the show twenty four first started that like it was amazing how everybody who had a high position in like the world's you know the Central Intelligence Agency was twenty four <laughs> years old. Right. You know what right, I mean? Right, like, right. how do you, you know, most guys that are like grizzled old spooks, for lack of a better word, that's, you know, that's what they're like in their 60s. And right. because you acquire this knowledge over yes. uh, years and years and years of field work. Right. You know, you don't run the world's greatest intelligence agency when you're 25. Yeah, everybody, everybody is Mark Zuckerberg. Right, exactly. It's like, <laughs> seriously? And there, there's just, it's just not believable because, hey, every, you know, most, when we had this conversation before about spies, I think yeah. this was when Dr. Towers was on about Spies are very, they're every man. Yeah, they're, you don't, they don't look, look like they just watched guy. off GQ. Yeah, that, that's yeah. in the, the the movie that Will Smith was in. An, uh, Enemy of the State. Enemy yeah, of the State, yeah, yes. Yeah. Where he's like, uh, yeah, there's uh, some guy here with a serious vitamin D deficiency. Yeah, see, Gene Hackman is believable. That's what a spy should look like. Which was, a spy uh, should look like Gene Hackman. Yes. You know? Because you wouldn't, you would, you wouldn't think anything of it. Right. You'd right. see him walking down the street and be like, eh, there's a guy. Yeah, Looks exactly. Merle. Yeah. Just a guy. Just a guy. I burned down my house. No, you see some guy with a phone call. You see a guy looking like Daniel Craig walking down the street. That's, yeah. Somebody's going to pay attention. Definitely. You know, Dang, like, hey, that's a good looking guy right. over there. Right. It's enough to turn me gay. Yeah. Exactly. So Jack Black should be the next James Bond. Yes. Nah, absolutely. Well, I think now that Philip Seymour Hoffman's out. Yeah, right? well, he's <laughs> out, of the, out of the loop. All right, I, I think his chances are pretty good. Ethan Hawke isn't going to be the next James Bond. <laughs> oh, yeah. Could be. Well, that's beneath. He's only like five feet tall. That role is beneath him. Ethan. <laughs> no, because he's really short. Tom. Ethan Hawke. He's like five. He's like five. Nothing is beneath him. <laughs> Ethan Hawke. Are you thinking Ethan Hawke's not diminutive in stature? I'm you talking about somebody else. Uh, what's his name? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Yes. What was it? 
Ethan something, wasn't his name? Ethan Hunt. Ethan Hunt. Yeah, he was yeah. Ethan Hunt in Mission okay. Impossible. Yeah, well, he's like 5'2", so he's like... He is. He's yeah. very short. He is. He is short of stature. Yes. But he's a super spy. He is. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. With a huge Napoleon complex. What else we got? Yeah, old movies. Old movies. Oh, old, old movies. movies. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. So so what was it that you wanted to talk to Mr. Sarah about? Him, him and his knowledge of all things Hollywood about old things. Well... I found it interesting that he's he enjoys movies so much, but the golden age of Hollywood, he's not a big fan of. Yeah. Um, I, th- I just think it's... Because um, that's what they would call film, in right, quotes, right. as opposed to movies, which is what we have today. The, the problem with me for them is that, and I, I think it's an evolution thing, my mind moves way too fast to watch those movies. Um, I've tried on, I would say at least six occasions to try to watch Gone with the Wind. Oh, that's because it's movie. you know it's like number two or number three on yeah, AFI's top one hundred, and you're forty five minutes into it. You know this is supposed to be some sort of a love story between the two. They're forty five minutes into it, and it's the first time that they meet. Like I've seen enough movies, Ryan. I know what's going to happen. Let's get there. Yeah, we don't need to take how about, how that about long. Casablanca. Have you ever seen Casablanca? Yeah. Have you tried it? No, I haven't. Um, Casablanca is a good film, but th- it's only forty. Let's say what forty-five minutes long. Well, no, it's, it's it's not long. But it's, it's not like, long. It's it's not like today's movies are like three hours. I mean, this is not. Yeah, like Casablanca is well, it's a good. I mean, in terms of classics, I, that that movie I like. I, I can sit down and watch Casablanca. It's, I think the, I think the length of the movie, though, it's just that I think as a modern viewer, which is what you're saying, right? Essentially, by saying that you can't relate to these older movies as a modern viewer with modern sensibilities and modern story arcs I think you would relate to Casablanca I think you would also relate to Holiday Inn which is my all time favorite movie ever 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 um it's what about the sequel Holiday Inn Express are you are you smarter because of it yes I could watch Gone with the Wind after I stay there like my 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 feeling is we don't just drive a car anymore before that's what you did right when you drive a car you're listening to the radio you're carrying on a conversation you're answering text messages you're eating a sandwich you're having coffee all at the same time mm-hmm. when you're watching those movies there's there's just so dry and it's like point to point to point to point i can process i could probably watch four of those movies at the same time have you seen breakfast at tiffany's all of them. Yeah. yes that's yes i have same. did you enjoy breakfast at tiffany's <laughs> You did not. I didn't. I, no, I didn't. Was it because of the the uh, uh, oblique racism that's in the movie? No. <laughs> Where Mickey Rourke plays a Chinese man? <laughs> not only do they not have a Chinese man playing a Chinese man, Chinese man but it's Mickey Rourke playing a Chinese man. Mickey, Mickey, Mickey Rourke. Rourke. I was going to say Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke. 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 It would have been a little bit more interesting yes. if this was Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke would have played a Chinese man. <laughs> he would have been a child at the time. <laughs> or, or a sperm. What do you mean? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't I, know how old he is. You know, I'm, I'm going to challenge you to watch these two movies. I'll watch them. Holiday Inn. Who's in Holiday Inn? Uh, Bing Crosby. That's what I thought. Yeah. And Casablanca, which is, of course, Humphreys Bogart. And yes. Ingrid yeah. Bergman, which is, that's, if that's nothing a great else, movie. it's a great movie just for the historical context of it. 
Like, Casablanca is good because you're watching like, oh shit, I didn't realize how much how much quotable movie dialogue comes from that. Movie, yes. Right? I mean, there's the obvious lines, but like every line in that movie you've heard, has been reused you've heard somewhere else. Yes. Um, that, I remember the first time I watched it, I'm like, holy shit. You know, you know about the obvious lines in that, but they're, every piece of dialogue that comes out of that you've heard in some other con. And in trade for watching those, I will watch Doubt, Owning, Mahoney, Fear, and The Room. All right. I dare you to watch Fear. Um, but just oh, I'll watch it tonight. The the the, um, the thing about Gone with the Wind, you know, because I actually it's a hard I, movie I, I've, watch. I've watched Gone with the Wind a lot. I actually really? go, yeah. We yeah, when I um when I first got a DVD player, it was one of the first movies I got actually. No shit. Uh, yeah, I, got the I, I like it. I'm a, I'm a fan of the movie. Um, but the thing that that doesn't hold up for me and and Dan my, Dan and I might have talked about this before. The problem that I have with old movies is the way they were scored. Because I think uh, music is such a big part of film. Yeah. And even when when there's bad shit going on in Gone with the Wind, like it's, it's like, like that happy, happy yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's like the full orchestra going on with a lot of horns and stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> they, they, a kid just got thrown off a fucking horse, and you know, he's, he's dead. Yeah. And you know, it's like, oh, man. And in the war scenes, like when there's carnage going on. It's not like this big oppressive music that you get now in, yeah. in film. It's like upbeat music that you heard like in like Warner Brothers cartoons. <laughs> you know? and, and that's the thing. It's like that's what that's what I have a difficulty with. Now I've seen the movie enough times that you, to your point, it, it could use a little help in pacing. Well, you should restore it, it. Does just like they did. Time. Well, see, that's the thing. Like, and, and nobody's nobody's gone down that path. Of doing the reboot, well, um, they did with I'm Wizard of Oz. Oz. They put yeah. Pink Floyd's album to it. Well, sure, that's that's a little bit different, but not much. I mean, but but that's the thing. And it's, um, I remember the last time I watched it. it. Once you get used to it, the movie kind of flies by. Okay, but if you're if you've never, I've seen never, it, I've never that, finished the, it. The first time I've you're like, oh, I've never God, been tried starting it. This is this is on. Yeah. But you know, to, to your point, Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz is an old movie. I love Wizard of Oz. See, that's a, that's yeah. a Do you like Wizard of Oz? Yeah, I like Wizard yeah. of Oz. Yeah. See, everybody like, what about the original Psycho? I can I can stand to not rewatch it. Yeah. Yeah. I do enjoy. Well, that's kind of one of those movies that once the reveal is there, that yeah. it that it does. Rear Window is a great movie. Rear Window. I like. Re- I like Rear Window. Yeah. yeah. So, so see, there are some old movies that you do and connect with. Yeah. Well, that's a, it's, it's a good it's, point. Like Hitchcock. Hitchcock was ahead of his time, but it was he, he it's was based but, more where you're the, the exposition's not so long, right? Yeah. Get to it already. Like in Rear Window, it's from the door. Something he's sitting there watching, yes. and something ain't right. Yes. Yeah. So um, I know. So, that, so that's what. That's one of the things that you like. That is, you like. You like to have it in the front, uh, in the very beginning of the movie. Something saying, "Okay, watch. Something weird is going to happen now." And then Ooh. the rest of the movie well, is the exploration oh, of it. My favorite movie of all time is The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two, sure. which are very long, very slow, but from from the moment it starts. You're pulled into that yeah, character. Yeah, it keeps going want, deeper and yes. deeper and deeper. It's layer after layer after layer. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, a, a couple of other things, because um, I don't want to get sidetracked by The Godfather, because I would uh, for hours. <laughs> we should have you back for that. Right. Um, what about Citizen Kane? You ever I that? hate Citizen yes. Kane. That is like widely regarded as the best movie ever. I couldn't stand I, it. You, you know why uh, Citizen Kane? I forced Kane, myself to watch it. I could not. But, but you know what it is about Citizen Kane that's regarded as as it's the filmmaking. It's not so much the movie because okay. I, I always got sucked into that too. It's like because I remember the first time I watched, I'm like. 
that movie's really not that good. Right. When you dig back, but I think, but I think you hit on a point there before. The classics, there's just this proliferation of film, and people just consistently tell us. Gone with the Wind is great. Citizen Kane is great. And it's just generation after generation saying, oh, somebody before told me that was great, so I have to believe that it's right. great. But if you go back and look at I think Gone with the Wind is revered because it was a great retelling of the book. That's what it is. Okay. That that movie is a book on screen. It was Margaret Mitchell's book retold almost literally. Okay. And it was like, oh, yeah, that, in, in your movie were very, or, you know, that was very young in film history yes, right so i think people look at it like oh i read that book because we didn't have tv back then and it was a blah 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 and it was an event and hey what i read on these pages they brought the life in moving picture and that's what's good about it yeah which is a lot of that watch great gatsby with the, the, Leo DiCaprio. right right and then citizen yeah, Kane, the, the story is pretty pedestrian but what's revered about that is all the different film angles that that Orson Welles was doing, and just some of the crazy shit he did with the camera, right? It that hadn't been done before. You know, and I think else? that's what gets lost over the years. People revere it as a as a groundbreaking film because of the way it was made, not so much of it because it's really not a great story. I mean, it's right. just a, it's an obvious. Like I said, it's I hate, I hate to keep saying pedestrian. It doesn't do much, but I think that's what gets lost over the years. People are like, oh my god, Citizen Kane, it's great. No, it's not. It's a cautionary tale. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, anybody with a pen and a paper could have written it, but yeah, and yeah, I don't want to give it away, but it's a fucking sled. Yeah, exactly uh, right. But yeah. it's, it's, it's been way, out there for a it's, long it's kinda, time. If you haven't seen it yet, you're that, 12. That's kind of goes into that argument. And you shouldn't be listening to this show. It's, it, that's, it's for adults. that's cinema. Right. You know, and it, it's an art film. It's, and that was, this is where I wanted to tie it back to your comment about The Godfather. That was the fear when The Godfather first came out. Nobody really knew if it was going to be revered or right. if audiences were going to like it because they thought it was too arty. Oh, okay. You know, it was like this this movie, it's it's us doing the book, and we're going to try a couple of different things. We're going to do all the symbolism. There's a lot of metaphor. You know what saves it, though, is the characters. We're gonna, the characters are fantastic. Well, as we discussed earlier, yeah. good dialogue and good performance yeah. is going to do it for you 99% of the time. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> yeah. but, but there is that, that movie is arty. It's, and yeah. it looks different. There's a there's a lot of great it, cinematography it in that. That for its time, nobody was doing that. And then it essentially becomes a textbook. That's right for the mafia. Yeah, exactly. They're going to it to find out how they're supposed to behave. <laughs> exactly right. That's exactly, exactly what exactly happened right. to it. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a touchdown for the mafia. You're like, what are we you're just like Frito. Right. <laughs> Frito? Frito. Frito. I knew what you meant. Yeah. Frito. Frodo? Was Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah that's Frodo. <laughs> Frodo. Frodo. Yeah. I thought that was a yogurt. No, that's Froyo. Froyo. <laughs> we should get a sponsor from the dairy community. We should. Because we mentioned yogurt a couple episodes now. We mentioned Activa when we were talking about whether Jamie Lee Curtis yeah. Yeah, was a Yeah, whether she was in. Yeah. poops a lot. Right. And that fits in with your movies, too. Yeah, yeah movies. Movies. <laughs> yeah. Brought so, to you by yeah, American no, Dairy Farmers. I, I don't know if there's, are there any other classics that, uh, what about the original Manchurian Candidate? Never that's a that's a good one. That's a good to watch. Yeah, that's good. Um, I liked um, To Kill a Mockingbird. No, see, that's good. But yeah. again, that's you know, book. Yeah, book well made into a film. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have see, that problem see, with westerns. We talked too, about though. that once before, and I think we talked about books, movies that were remakes of, and it's not really a remake. It's there's a, almost every movie out there. I would say almost. A lot of movies out there are based on books or short stories. Absolutely. Really? 
if they don't and they, and they don't broadcast that. Right. It's like real small in the beginning credits right. or real small in the ending credits. Yeah, based on the book mod. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. The only time you only get notice is like the Oscars. They have best best adapted best screenplay, adapted screenplay. best original screenplay. Right. Yeah. What's what's gonna win this year? That uh, for best original screenplay would be her. Spike Jones. I think you might be right. Best adaptation. I don't know what the what the what the lists are. Yeah, but remember when when her wins on Sunday night, or when it won. This episode will probably air after yeah, probably. that was announced. I hope the other everyone, one I'll try to get out. I hope everybody recognizes tomorrow. that Spike Jones co-opted that idea right out of my fucking head. <laughs> he came into your brain. Yeah, my incredibly selfish view on one-sided relationships. Spike Jones reached into he, he. You guys can go to www.ninthstory.com and go to Craig's Poetry Corner. <laughs> and which poem is it, Craig? Um, I I don't know. Uh, oh, they're all based upon my selfish views of relationships. Oh, come on. There's one specifically. So adapted screenplay is uh, Before Midnight, Captain Phillips, Philomena, 12 Years a Slave, and The Wolf of Wall Street. Adapted screenplay. So uh, so, so Before Midnight, is that, again, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy and some other Yes, line? that's the, the is that third Richard installment. Uh, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the third installment, I believe, yeah. right? It's the final one, right? Who knows? Yeah. It's like the Friday. Ten years from now, there could be another one. The final chapter. <laughs> Ghost of You, maybe? Ghost of You is... The Ghost of You is just a, a, a twisted little... Um, you are? Twisted little love ditty. Yeah, you are. Is it you are? I don't know. It could be anything. Like I said, every one of Soul those... Soul destroyed? Every... every, every <laughs> Full circle? Everything I write is based upon... Why don't, you, why, don't you read, why don't you read You Are for us? My selfishness. No, not tonight. Maybe on a future episode. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. All right, we'll see you next time, guys. You've been listening to the Ninth Story Podcast, a hicks and fabulous production. I broke it. Before you guys take off, I just wanted to let you know that you're invited to a virtual party on Monday. Over the weekend, I got together with Dr. Towers and Jessica McHugh and Nelson W. Piles. Jessica brought her husband along with her. And uh, Saturday night after Horror Realm, we got together back here at Ninth Story Studios and just kind of hung out, had a few drinks, and uh, just had a good time talking. And uh, you've, uh, if you're a fan of the show, you heard the interviews with Jessica you heard Nelson's interview. You heard a couple times Dr. Towers was in the studio with us. So I encourage you to enjoy the show that we're going to put out on Monday. It's not the normal format. It's just kind of hanging out with us and hearing what we talk about. And we're going to do a second part to that on Tuesday, which is actually going to be put up on Red Horse Radio on Dr. Towers' show. So it's going to be a true crossover. You get part one on Ninth Story on Monday, part two over at uh, Red Horse Radio on Tuesday. So hopefully you guys will join us for that two-part fun episode. Since it's a non-standard show, it's not going to be a numbered show in the format that we normally number everything as part of the series. As a nod to Dr. Towers and his uh, comic book series, I'm calling my part the non-standard assembly, which again is a reference to his characters and his work. And I'm not sure what he'll title his part, but you have to tune in Monday to get our part and Tuesday to see what he's going to call his part. Hope you guys enjoy. Have a great weekend.